The, Jew, the Jewish people are generally a people that descend from our ancestors, the children of Israel, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who left Egypt with Moses, wandered through the desert for 40 years, and lived in the land of Israel. Most Jews are descendants, direct descendants, of the children of Israel. However, over the years, there were many non-Jews who converted to Judaism and joined the Jewish people. Generally, converts were pretty small in number, and they assimilated into the Jewish people. We don't know if we have converts as our ancestors or not. Most of us probably do, given that if you go back 10 generations, you have a 1,000 ancestors, um, unless there was intermarriage, which there probably was. But given that you have so many different ancestors, when you go back a couple generations, um, it's very likely that we have ancestors that are converts, but by and large, almost all of our ancestry would be the direct descendants of those that were born Jewish, um, unless you know otherwise, by and large, our direct ancestry are descendants of the children of Israel. There were actually times for most of history, it was illegal for people to convert to Judaism. Other majority nations that we lived in didn't want their people to convert to Judaism. And so it was illegal on, in Christian Europe or uh, Muslim Middle Eastern countries, uh, someone who was caught converting to Judaism, they would be killed, and uh, any Jew that helped them would be killed, and often the entire Jewish community would be punished. There were a few exceptions. There were times that entire tribes converted to Judaism. A handful of such events in history. The first such exception that we know, the first such tribe that we know of was a Canaanite tribe called the Givonim, or Gibbonites, who joined the Jewish people in the days of Joshua. And the book of Joshua tells us how the Gibbonites tricked him, pretending they were from far away, and they weren't really Canaanites. Later they discovered they were Canaanites. Regardless, they converted to Judaism, and they lived um, in Israel as their own tribe. Israel was then tribal. There were 12 tribes, and there was the Gibbonite tribe as well, um, who became, over time, they became known as the Natinim. And um, the Gibbonite tribe, though, in the days of King David, had an incident, a particular incident, where King David um, got very upset at them over something they had done as a group, and um, he threw them out of the, expelled them from the Jewish people. And so although they re continued to practice Judaism, and they were halachically Jewish, he banned Jews from marrying the Givenites. We know during the Second Temple period, there were still Givenites, as they were called Natinim, who were still around during the Second Temple period, but um, they seem to have, over time, disappeared from history. We don't know what happened to them. They weren't allowed to marry other Jews, and they eventually disappear. There were, over history, a handful of other tribes that converted. We know that there were some Yemenite tribes, um, pre-Islam uh, or in the Arabian Peninsula that converted to Judaism. Uh, exactly what happened to those tribes, we don't know. Possibly they mixed into Yemenite Jewry. Um, possibly they died off or kind of disappeared over time. Um, another interesting example was um, in the first century. Um, in the first century, um, when there was a king of a country called um, Adabine, which was a land um, straddling modern-day Turkey and Iraq, um, where the Kurds live today. And um, the king, his name was Munbaz, and he converted to Judaism, along with his mother, Queen Helena. 
And um, Queen Helena and Mumbaz visited Jerusalem where they actually built themselves palaces. They each built palaces in Jerusalem that are described in many different sources. Uh, they were very generous. They were um, very wealthy. They were very generous. They gave a lot of money to the temple, special donation. They donated special items to the temple. They also gave money for Jewish, a lot of money towards Jewish causes. It's not clear how many of their countrymen, if any, um, converted to Judaism as well. We can presume that if the king and his, the royal family converted to Judaism, that uh, some of the countrymen would have also, but it's not clear how many. Regardless, um, Adiabine was eventually conquered um, in the second century by the Persian Empire, and um, the kingdom fell apart, and so whatever, whoever was Jewish that had converted um, either disappeared in history or assimilated into the Jewish people. But fast forward about eight, nine hundred years or a couple hundred years, Jews around the world, as far away as Spain, were fascinated by the news of this far away Jewish kingdom. The Jewish leader of Spanish Jewry at the time, based in Cordoba, which was the largest Jewish community in Spain, the largest city in Spain, but the largest Jewish community in Spain, the Spanish leader's name was, in the 900s, his name was Chastai ibn Shaprut. And he began sending letters back and forth to this Jewish kingdom called the Khazars. The Khazars were a Turkic or Uyghur, you hear about the Uyghurs a lot in China, but Uyghurs are a group that spread across um, Central Asia. And uh, there's some debate as to whether they're Turkic or Uyghur, which is actually very similar. Um, they were a group that settled along the Volga River in southern Russia. The Volga River is in southern Russia, north of the Caucasus region. The Caucasus region, for those uh, into geography, is an area where Georgia, um, Armenia, Azerbaijan is. Um, it's the area between the Caspian and the Black Sea. And so um, just north of that, the Volga River flows into the Caspian Sea. And so um, the Volga River kind of cuts through um, much of southern Russia today. And so that region along the Volga River was where the Khazars had settled and built the Khazar Kingdom. At times, their kingdom expanded all the way deep into what today would be Ukraine and deep into covering much of the um, Caucasus region. Um, and they were a very important spot along what was the northern silk trade route. We know there were silk trade routes that crossed from the east, from China, going to Europe. Um, the silk trade had... There were a couple of these silk trade routes. There was what's often referred to as the spice route, which is a route that went from India by sea um, up the Red Sea um, all the way to Egypt. But then there were the overland routes. There were two major routes. One that went through Iran and Iraq through what today we call the Middle East. And one that went further north through modern-day Kazakhstan, north of the Caspian and Black Seas, and through Ukraine, um, all the way to Europe. And so this was, the Khazars were at the center of this northern route, 
and they had major trading stations um, in this route. Many travelers traveled through this kingdom, um, and uh, we have a lot of records of such travels. So the Khazars were geographically close to the growing Arab Caliphate. The Arabs came from Saudi Arabia in um, the early 600s and um, had captured the Persian Empire, which covered modern-day Iran, Iraq, Syria, um, Israel, and spread all the way across North Africa through Egypt, Tunisia, going down to Morocco, and then up to Spain, um, even conquered Sicily. Um, and so, to the, so the, the um, caliphate was just south of, where they pushed north as well, um, to the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, um, northern Iran, and um, they were just south of the Khazar Kingdom. And then to their southeast was Byzantine. Byzantine was um, the rump of what was left of the Roman Empire, which was based in um, Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul in Turkey. And most of modern-day Turkey was at the time was Byzantine. But Byzantine then stretched all the way around the Black Sea through modern-day um, Serbia, Croatia, Romania, Bulgaria was all part of uh, Byzantine back then. And so they were also, again, just across the Black Sea and pretty close to the um, Khazars. So during the um, late 600s, early 700s, the Khazars came under a lot of, they were pagans, and they came under a lot of pressure, like many Asian peoples at the time, and they came under a lot of pressure from Muslims and Christians to their south who were right near them and whom they were trading with a lot and uh, working with a lot. And so they're under, the Muslims were pressuring them to convert to Islam. It appears that large numbers of Khazars did convert to Islam. The Christians were pressuring them to convert to Christianity. It appears large numbers of Khazars did convert to Christianity. Around the year 740, the king of the Khazars at the time was a King Bulam. And King Bulam decided once and for all to choose a monotheistic state religion. And so he invited a Christian scholar, a Muslim scholar, and a Jew, Jewish scholar to a big debate so that he can figure out which is the true religion. And they debated back and forth for many days without much progress. They didn't get very far. And so, not feeling that he was getting coming to any conclusion, he pulled the Christian aside, the Christian scholar, and he said, if you had to choose between Judaism and Islam, which one do you think is more correct? And the Christian said, Judaism. And then he pulled the Muslim scholar aside. And he said, if you had to choose between... Judaism and Christianity. Which do you think is more correct? And the Muslim scholar said Judaism. And so he had his answer. He brought all, all of them together, together with all his notables, and he announced after debating and speaking to each of them, um, I see that each of the other religions respect Judaism. So therefore, our kingdom is the kingdom of the Khazars is going to convert to Judaism. So Bulan then had himself circumcised, and converted to Judaism. 
along uh, with many of his notables and many of his, uh, the nobles um, of the kingdom all converted to Judaism. He sent for Jewish scholars, presumably from um, Iraq, which was then a great Babylonian, the center of Babylon, Babylonian Jewish center. Um, there were also Jews at the time living, Jewish scholars in Israel and in Byzantine and Turkey, what t- later would become Turkey. Um, and they came to the kingdom. We're not sure exactly where the scholars came from. They came to the kingdom to, tru- to teach Judaism. It's not clear after the official conversion around 740 how Jewish the Khazars actually were. Um, they had an initial wave of Jewish scholars. Many adapted Judaism. Uh, but it doesn't seem to have spread very much throughout the kingdom. Remember, by this time, already a significant number of Khazars were Christian and Muslim. A, but later, um, a couple decades later, a grandson of King Bulan, and the kings and the royal family still remained faithful to Judaism during this period, a grandson of King Bulan, King Ovadia, decided to make Judaism more established in his kingdom. He brought many Jewish scholars to teach Judaism across the kingdom. He built yeshivas. He built synagogues making Judaism a prominent religion across the kingdom with large numbers of Khazars practicing Judaism. Now, it's unclear exactly how many Khazars converted to Judaism. Um, Historians generally think that the majority of the common folk, Khazars, did not become Jewish. Most of them were already Christian or Muslim by the time the kingdom officially converted. And... As since Judaism does not proselytize or force people um, to change their religion, um, they did not. The kings did not. Was to, the king was kings were tolerant and did not force those that had converted to Judaism to Christianity or Islam to become Jewish. But many, a significant number, particularly the, the aristocracy, did become Jewish. And so. Um, so we do know that a significant percentage of the kingdom was Jewish, though likely never a majority um, and likely most commoners were not Jewish. But Judaism was the official religion of the Khazar kingdom. Any questions? You said a significant majority did convert? Did, did not, not. Did not. We don't know for certain. We don't have very good records. I'll soon explain why. But um, it's likely that a significant majority did not. In the mid-900s, about 200 years after the initial Khazar conversion, and remember, communication wasn't great back then. Jews had a lot of traders that would go back and forth, so Jews did have communication. Um, Most communication was around the Mediterranean, uh, where most Jews lived, going from Babylon, which was actually a little further inland. Babylon is modern-day Iraq, which is where most Jews at the time lived and where the great centers of Judaism were, the great yeshivas of Babylon were. We did a class a little while back on the Jewish community of Babylon. Um, But Jews lived around the Mediterranean, um, Israel, Syria, um, Byzantine, which is modern-day Turkey, Greece, Italy, uh, southern France, Spain, um, and all along North Africa during this time. So... Uh, most Jewish communication was around the Mediterranean. The Khazars would have been a little bit away from the beaten path living in southern Russia. Um, but so in the 900s, Reb Chestai ibn Shaprut had heard this rumor about this Jewish kingdom. 
but they were far away without great communication. He wasn't certain that it was true. At the time, there was a, um, there was a Slavic embassy, and Slavic is, was, was, is probably modern-day Serbia. Um, there was a Serbian embassy, it was a kingdom then, and uh, they had an embassy in Cordoba, where Chastai Ibn Shaprut was the leader of the Jewish community. And in that embassy, there were two Jews that were working, two Serbian Jews that were working in the embassy. And he spoke to them, and they confirmed with him that, yes, they're a lot closer geographically. Yes, there is a Jewish kingdom on the other side of the Black Sea, um, near the Caspian Sea in southern Russia, called the Khazar Kingdom, that with the king and the leadership are all practicing Jews. And so he was fascinated by this, and so he sent the letter to the Khazar king with these two Jews. He sent them a letter to have it delivered to the king. Now, it was a little bit complicated to get it to the king. Um, we have some letters explaining how they even managed to get it to Khazario, the Khazar land. Um, at the time, Serbia was a vassal state of Byzantine, which was the Christian, well, the, what was left of Rome, the Roman, Eastern Roman Empire. Um, the Romans and the Khazars didn't get along. They didn't have a good relationship. And so therefore you couldn't really travel from one to the other. So what they had to do is they had to send it first to Hungary, which at the time was Uyghur, was its own, um, was its own um, kingdom, Hungarian kingdom, where there was a Jewish community. And from there they were able to send it through across um, what today would be Ukraine, um, through Tart, which was then ruled by Tartars, um, all the way to um, the Khazar kingdom. The Khazar king, whose name at the time was Yosef, gets the letter, and he responds with a long letter telling the history of his ancestors' conversion, which is where we know the story from, and some details about the kingdom and Judaism in the kingdom. So we have these letters back and forth that go between Reb Chastai Ibn Shaprut, the leader of the Jewish community in Spain, and King Yosef, the king of the Khazars. This is again in the, mid nine, in the mid-900s. There were some historians that questioned the validity of these letters, but modern research in more recent times has shown that the letters do definitely appear to be authentic. We don't have the originals, of course. They were handwritten. We have copies, but they do appear to be authentic. There are discrepancies within the various copies that are existent handwritten manuscripts that we have today, uh, but that's normal in um, letters. Um, we definitely have a lot of contemporaries, people in the 900s especially, when we have more surviving manuscripts and more surviving written word from the 900s and from the 700s, but we do have from the 900s and 1000s, from the 10th century, 11th century, we have many references to the Khazar kingdom. Um, in about 120 years ago, um, in, or more, 130 years ago, in Cairo, in Egypt, they discovered, in Cairo, in Egypt, they discovered that in the synagogue they had a Geniza. A Geniza is, um, you know, where people put the, um, today in Yiddish they call it Seamus, or the, the um, things that are holy that you can't throw in the garbage, right? Usually we bury them. 
things that have God's name on it or parts of a prayer book or parts of a Torah, you can't throw it in the garbage, you've got to bury it. So usually you bury it in the ground and it's gone. In Cairo, for a couple hundred years, they were putting it in the attic of the synagogue. But then they forgot about it. In the um, late 19th century, they found, someone went into the attic and found all these manuscripts. It's known as the Kaiser Gniza. It's one of the most important um, finds, archaeological finds, um, that we found in the last 200 years. And um, the Karagniza included tens of thousands of papers um, <laughs> that gives us a whole window <laughs> into Jewish history and history in general. It starts about the 900s. Um, and it gives us a whole window into some four or 500 years of life in the Middle East. And so in the Karagniza, we found a number of letters referring to the Khazar kingdom about the Khazar kingdom. Interesting, there's one letter... Um, that's, I'm not sure where it is today, that in Hebrew, that was written to Jews of Kiev about to help, I guess, the person who was bringing this letter, carrying this letter, um, that's believed to have been written by Khazari Jews. It appears to have come from the Khazar kingdom. We also have a little bit of information about the Khazar kingdom in Christian sources, Muslim sources from that period. So we have various snippets of information about this Khazar kingdom that seems to have lasted some 300 Jewish kingdom that seems to have lasted 300 years. Not huge amounts of information, but very little archaeology left from their kingdom, um, very little records, but we do have snippets of information. What happened to the Khazars? So the Khazars were eventually conquered by the Russians, or the Rus, as they were called then. The Rus were based at the time in Kiev. Kiev was the capital of the Rus. They were mostly stationed in modern-day Ukraine. Um, the Muscovites at the time were a separate group, but eventually they merged with the Rus to become the Russians uh, much later. But um, the um, Kievan Rus, who were um, the early Russians, um, eventually captured... Um, the Volga Valley, the valley along the Volga River, and they captured gradually the Khazar kingdom, and it seems to have disappeared by the early 11th century, by the early, just after the year 1000, the Khazar kingdom appears to have disappeared. Now, were there remnants of Khazar communities still there? There may have been remnants. Some historians think, although we don't have no clear evidence, but some historians think that there were remnants of the Khazar communities um, in that region for some hundreds of years afterwards. We don't know for certain. Regardless, what happened throughout much of Asia was that in the 13th century, in the mid-1200s, most of Asia was swallowed by the Mongol hordes, the Mongol invasions. And the Mongol, there were a couple of Mongol invasions, but the Mongol hordes were um, barbarians, who wherever they came, they killed large numbers of people. They would capture a city and kill every single person in the city and burn the city and totally destroy it. They probably killed, it's estimated, maybe half of the population of Asia were killed by the Mongols. And so entire regions, uh, much of Iran was totally destroyed, all remnants of the Persian Empire, much of what today is Iraq, 
remnants of the caliphate, of the Arab caliphate, were completely destroyed. Um, they got as far as Syria, remnants of the Arabs in Syria. And they also, same was with, they went as far as Kiev, the Russians, and for that matter, um, the Karzas as well, were all totally destroyed. Where every major city was totally destroyed, they killed every single person in any city, any large city. Uh, much of the countryside was destroyed due to having lost their commercial centers, eventually fell apart. And so large, big percentage of the population was killed. And uh, we essentially, they created a black hole in history. So history in much of this part of the world that didn't somehow make it westward to Europe or places that survive uh, was mostly destroyed with the Mongol invasions, which is why the Khazars and many other groups that lived in that part of the world during that time, um, we have very little record, li very limited recorded history of um, because of the Mongol destruction. So as a result, we, we have bits and pieces that survived from the Khazars, but not a huge amount of information of the Khazars that actually survived. Yes? Did anybody um, ever find a reason why the Mongols decimated? I mean, what was their reasoning? Before? I don't know. I don't know. You're asking a great question. You're asking a great question. But part of what the Middle East was once the cradle of civilization, a big part of what changed that and what destroyed that was the Mongol invasions. So the Khazars perhaps became most famous because one of the most important Jewish books is a book called Kuzari. Kuzari is a book that was written by a scholar called Rabbi Yehuda Halevi of Barcelona. He lived in the 1100s, the 12th century in Barcelona, Spain, Arabic Spain. Rabbi Yehuda Halevi was one of our great Jewish scholars, great Jewish thinkers, and he was also a great poet. We have lots of great poems from him. And he wrote a book of Jewish philosophy. It's one of the most important books of Jewish philosophy today. The idea was it explains why we believe Judaism is true, why we believe Islam and Christianity is not, why we reject Islam and Christianity, and evidence just about Judaism, what Judaism believes, and evidence for the truth of Judaism. And he named his book Kuzari. The reason why he named his book Kuzari is because he wrote his book as a fictional account of the debate in front of the Kuzari king. We know from the letter from King Yosef to Chastai ibn Shaprut that the way King Bulan became Jewish was he had this debate between a Jewish scholar, a Christian scholar, and a Muslim scholar. He writes how the debate ended, as we described earlier in that letter, but Rabbi Yehuda Halevi wrote a book of this fictional account of the debate where he has each side, the Christian scholar presenting their side, and the Muslim scholar presenting their side, and the Jewish scholar presenting his side, with the king, um, with the king um, managing or um, leading the debate. And so the book is written in that format. 
Um, it's fictional, and he's clear that it's fictional, he want, but he wanted a format to be able to write his arguments for Judaism. And because it's a fictional account of the debate that led to the conversion of the Khuzar kingdom, he called his book Kuzari, and perhaps that's what made the um, Khuzar kingdom most famous among Jews, because the Kuzari remains t- till today one of the most important, if not the most important book of Jewish philosophy. Of course, you can get the Kuzari in English today. There are many great translations. Um, it's, it's widely available. While there's been many, many books of Jewish philosophy written since, um, the Kuzari is very unique um, and very powerful book. K-U-Z-A-R-I. And you can get them on Amazon. Which translation is the best? I don't know offhand. I can't tell you. But there are a number of translations. So about 50 years ago, there was a British historian called Arthur Kosler. And he wrote a book called The Thirteenth Tribe. And in this book, he advanced the theory that Ashkenazic Jews, meaning Jews of Eastern Europe, 90% of American Jewry and about 50% of Israeli Jews are descendants of Eastern European Jews. And so he advanced this theory that Ashkenazic Jewry are descendants of the Khazars. Now, he meant well. The goal of this theory, he writes in his book, was to counter anti-Semitism. The Nazis had believed that Jews were a Semitic race. We were a Middle Eastern race. That's why we were, they wanted to destroy us. But his argument was that Jews aren't Semites at all. They're Turkic, because they're from Khuzars. So we shouldn't, anti-Semites shouldn't hate them. Now, in reality, the anti-Semites jumped on this theory. The anti-Semites loved this theory. Because it meant that Ashkenazic Jews had no connection to the land of Israel or the Middle East. It meant that the state of Israel, that was declared in 1948, was just a colonial project of people from Turkic peoples that didn't belong there, that had come and taken the land away from the natives. And so today, a quick Google search um, on Kuzars, will show you endless anti-Semitic websites pro- promoting this Khazar theory. And so it, although it was originally coined by a Jewish historian um, to counter anti-Semitism, but it ended up becoming a lead anti-Semitic theory. We could say conspiracy theory. Because regardless of what the goal of the theory was, the Khazar theory has been universally rejected by all and any serious historian. It was a nice try, and scholarship, academia, is full of all sorts of outlandish ideas and theories in every subject, in every field, that get rejected straight away, but that's how academia develops. People come up with these wacky ideas that sound you know, revolutionary, and then someone points out, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. And uh, then it kind of gets thrown into the dustbin of academic garbage. And there's a lot of that. I mean, most of academia is full of that. 
Uh, and this was originally, that theory was one of those things till the anti-Semites decided that they loved this theory because it rejects Jews' relationship with Israel. What's wrong with this theory? The most obvious problem is, how did Ashkenazic Jews learn to speak Yiddish if they came from Khazaria? Yiddish, of course, is a Germanic language. That would point to Ashkenazic Jews' history in Germany or in Germanic lands. It's these suggestions that the Germans, that there were Germans that um, colonized or lived in Khazaria, Jewish uh, German settlements, and they somehow spread it to the Khazars and it became the Khazar language. There's zero evidence for that, and it's pretty ludicrous to suggest that somehow a handful of German settlers would have taught the Khazars German, and as a result, um, the Khazars learning Yiddish and it becoming their spoken language. It's, it's a pretty outlandish idea. But more importantly, that's the most obvious reason why it's wrong. But the most important reason why it's wrong is Jews have written throughout history. We have a better recorded history than any other people on earth. Choose any decade in Jewish history, and we could point to books, Jewish books that were written in that decade. Any place in Jewish history where Jews lived, we could point to Jewish books written in that place. Letters from that place, writings from that place. We have Jews were literate throughout history. We have an extensive recorded history. So there really isn't much question as to how Jews got from one place to the next. It is all recorded. We have very extensive recorded history as to exactly how Ashkenazic Jews got to Eastern Europe. We know exactly what happened. We know that Jews lived in the Roman Empire um, for, from the days of the destruction of the Second Temple, and even before that, Jews were spread out across the Roman Empire, including in Italy, Greece, um, Asia Minor, or what today is Turkey. Um, Jews were spread out across the Roman Empire. We know that as the Roman Empire began to collapse, in the 600s, 700s, and um, Germany and um, the Rhine Valley and Northern Europe was being settled. The cities, the um, nomadic or semi-nomadic German, Germanic tribes were, um, began to settle in towns and cities, um, and cities were being built. Jews moved into those cities in very large numbers, mostly coming from Italy and other parts of European, Roman, former Roman Empire. Um, we know that there was a very, very large Jewish community by already the 11th century, by the 10 hundreds. There was an extremely large Jewish community in Germany, in France, um, even in England there were Jews. Um, we know gradually Jews began to move to Eastern Europe to escape persecution, um, particularly the Kingdom of Poland, which covered most of modern-day Eastern Europe, including most of Ukraine, Hungary, um, che um, Czechia, Slovakia, um, even parts of Germany were part of Lithuania, Latvia, Belarus were all part of what was called the um, Polish Kingdom. Jews lived in, moved in the, between the 1200s and the 1400s, Jews lived in, moved in very, very large numbers to Poland. By the 15th century, which was kind of the heydays of the Polish Kingdom, um, most European Jews were living in the Polish Kingdom. And um, then, um, in fact, the Jews were not allowed to live 
in the Russian Empire. As the Russian Empire developed during that period, uh, the Russians were extremely anti-Semitic. Um, there weren't too many Jews living in Russia to start with. Uh, and they kept Jews out. They didn't let Jews settle there. It, later. It was only after, it was only after um, the, um, po the Polish kingdom fell apart and the Russians captured the Polish kingdom in the 18th century in a couple stages that Jews suddenly found themselves in the Russian Empire. But the Russians created a Pale of Settlement. The Pale of Settlement was essentially the former Polish kingdom, Kingdom of Poland, was where the only place that Jews were allowed to live. But in areas outside of the former Kingdom of Poland, Jews were banned from living. And so that created this Pale of Settlement, this limited area within the Russian Empire that Jews were allowed to live. So Jews didn't live in the Russian Empire, definitely not in Kuzaria or Kuzarian area along the Volga um, during much of this period. Jews were not allowed to live there at all. There were Jews further south um, in what had been their own independent countries in Georgia or Azerbaijan. There were Jews in those areas. Um, there had been Jews in Crimea that had lived there for a very long time from when it had been Byzantine um, or later Turkic, um, Tartar. Uh, there, were, there were Jews living there, but there weren't Jews living anywhere near where the Khuzar kingdom had been. It wasn't until the fall of the Russian Empire and the Russian Revolution in 1917 that Jews even moved into that area. So the theory is clearly incorrect. The evidence that we have of Jewish history of Ashkenazi Jews is overwhelming. Uh, we have thousands, tens of thousands of Jewish books papers, letters, uh, proving the history of Ashkenazi Jewry. And yet, anti-Semites don't need facts. They ignore facts. They choose whatever they like, and um, they run with it. And so therefore, if you Google today, Khazars, um, most of the results will be anti-Semitic websites claiming that the Jews were, that Ashkenazi Jews are descendants of Khazars. Again, a um, rejected theory. Still, the Khazar kingdom is a fascinating story of this kingdom that did become Jewish, one of a handful of groups throughout history that converted to Judaism in large numbers. And as far as we know, their conversion was genuine, and they kept Torah. They kept the Torah as we know it. Now, we Jews were never, never believed in proselytizing. We never believed in missionizing or trying to get others to convert to Judaism. We always kept to ourselves. And yet, wherever we lived, we always made an impression on the people around us. The Talmud says, Lo, Niglu Yisrael Omos, Alehim Ger. Israel was exiled among the nations so that converts should join our people. And throughout history, even when it was dangerous to become Jewish, like in Christian Europe or in Islamic Middle East, Non-Jews, there were always people that secretly converted to Judaism. Here and there, small in number, but there were always people that joined the Jewish people, seeing the beauty of Judaism. And so while we don't proselytize, we do serve as an example for the nations. We serve, Isaiah famously said, that we Jews serve as the light to the nations. We serve as a light to spread our values to the nations around us. Today, Judaism is extremely popular in this country, in many other places, 
that love Jews, love Judaism. Uh, there are many non-Jews that want to learn about Judaism, want to discover it, which is a beautiful thing. And while we don't encourage people to convert to Judaism, that's not our role. People do want to. We help them through a process of doing so if they're ready to accept all of our commandments. However, we Jews have always been a light to the nations. We were back then in the 700s, which is what led the Khazars to convert to Judaism. And we remain today. When we observe Judaism properly, when we serve as an example of Judaism, then other people are impressed and other people look at us and they want to be like us. So when they want to join us or just copy our values um, or care for us, we become a light to the nations just as the Jews did then in the days of the Khazars. We can do the same today just by being who we are, practicing our traditions and keeping to our values, we make an impression on the entire world around us.